Hello, and welcome back to Porcelain Peak, the strange and scary podcast that covers everything from horror to sci-fi and all the redemption part two stuff in between. I am one of your hosts, Anthony, and as always, I'm joined by John. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good. How about you? It's going well. I'm ready to talk about these epi- or this uh, fuck. I'm ready to talk about these movies so that we could check them off our list. Yeah, I know. All right, so that being said, we are going to talk about two of our sci-fi misses that we hadn't got around to, but we finally did, and that's what the bulk of this episode is going to be about. But before we do that, we are going to hit you guys with some news. News! This is it, Jennifer. Your big break in TV. So first for news, I would like to announce that Porcelain Peak has expanded its reach. So we are now going to be on Stitcher. We are now going to be on the Google Play Store. We are now going to be on TuneIn, which is how Amazon delivers podcasts. And we are going to be on Spotify. So if you have any of those and you want to check those out or you have friends that are on those, then share it with them and let them know that we are out there for everyone. So there was a bunch of big things that were announced this week, including literally right after we finished recording last week's episode, (laughs) they dropped the teaser trailer for It Chapter 2 that looks terrifying, and I love it. It was a great trailer. It basically just encapsulates a single scene. You get a couple little pieces here and there, but that scene was genuinely creepy. Right, and I was like, where the fuck is this going? Yeah. (laughs) And I would say watch the trailer. But just this one. I don't know what the other ones coming out are going to be like, but this one doesn't give away too much. Yeah, and if it's something that you're excited about seeing and excited about seeing how differently it's done as compared to previous iterations of It, I would definitely suggest to avoid trailers. Maybe look up and see, you know, who's going to be part of the cast that's already out and available to the public. Uh, But I think that they did a pretty good job of casting the adult versions of the characters that we were introduced to. I'll be interested to see if they can capture the magic that they had with the first one. Because people loved those characters. Mm -hmm. We are getting three new episodes of Black Mirror soon. Yes. Uh, It's going to be happening on June 5th. So that's right around the corner. That's a couple weeks from now. Uh, You'll definitely hear more about those things from us when they are released. But uh, the trailer looks dope. There's there's all kinds of weird, scary, sci-fi technology shit that's in there. And I'm all for it. Yes, and I like that they're going back to the original three-episode format that we got with season one and season two. Yeah. It was only until three and four that we got more. Yeah. So hopefully that means that these are going to all be real heavy hitters. Yeah. Let's get depressed. <laughs> and be excited about it. <laughs> uh, so there's also, there's been talks floating around about a Snowpiercer series. Uh, so that's an interesting concept. I loved the Snowpiercer film. This should be taking place... On the train, obviously, but before the events of Snowpiercer when they basically attempt to take over the train. We'll see how that all turns out. It's, it was purchased by TNT, but is now being moved to their other channel, TBS. Seems and, like a weird home. Yeah, a little bit, but they, they said they are trying to make a move towards more dramatic things. And like I said, it definitely has that, that good sci-fi feel to it. And I'm sure they're looking at things like The Walking Dead and you know, well, other things of those types of concepts doing so well. 
if it goes anything like Mr. Robot did for USA, then they're good. You know what I mean? Because I don't think anyone would have expected that to be on USA. Yeah, it's definitely a, an awesome concept. And they uh, apparently, based off of the information they already have, because it's being released in 2020, but they've already done a lot of principal shooting for that season. And apparently, based off of just like the test shooting and everything, they're already ordering a second season. Wow. So that's a good sign. Do you think that a, a sh- or a concept like that would benefit from having a drawn out story? Because I feel like Snowpiercer packed a punch. It's tough to say. They give you a pretty cookie cutter, cut and dry answer as to why they're on the train and why things are the way they are. There's a bunch of stuff that could be filled in as far as gaps are concerned that would potentially lead up to something along those lines. As a fan of the movie, is that something you would want? Potentially, yeah. And then, uh, finally, <laughs> probably uh, the least exciting news that we have. Oh, actually, I have two. I have two things. Then. Oh, okay. Uh, so the least exciting news we have on the list is a there's a rock paper scissors movie <laughs> that looks like it's absolute hot garbage. I thought but, it was a joke when you said it to me. Honestly, yeah, I, I thought it was a joke when I saw it, and I was like, "This is terrible." The trailer looks god awful. We'll see how it turns out. It could be fun, but it just lo- it looks really bad. Hopefully, it's a redeeming quality that Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, yeah. is directing it. So, the guy that did the original Child's Play. So, maybe. Yeah, I guess we'll find out. But, like I said, it it, it sounds like a bonkers concept and not in a good way. <laughs> but, if you want to check out the trailer, like I said, it's out there and available. It just looks really goofy. Yeah, agreed. They are on record saying that we should be getting the next installment of the Purge franchise in 2020 as well. That's something that's definitely good and something to look forward to. I believe the last Purge that was released was actually pretty solid and it had a uh, more expanded viewpoint. But they did a show too, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm interested to see how this all turns out. I, I like the Purge as a concept. I know the first one definitely was just more of like a, here's a cool concept, but really all you're getting is a home invasion movie. But they've expanded on that in the sequel since, and I I would like to see more. So I'm cool with it. Cool. I'll look forward to checking those out. And if you haven't seen it already, check out the Watchmen trailer for the show for HBO. It looks incredible. I didn't know that that was happening. Yes. Ty. Yeah, so it's supposed to be set after the events of the Watchmen comic and or movie. I think it's specifically the comic. It looks dope. I'm ready for it. Uh, check out the... Tr- if you ha- aren't watching Game of Thrones in its current run right now, you probably might have missed it. So definitely check that out. <laughs> that's me. All right. So that's going to be it for new. That means that we are going to jump into some of that trivia. Here's how we play. I ask a question. If you get it right, Steve lives. All right, Jan. First up, the monster category. Actor Jeffrey Combs played what character in Reanimator from 1985? The Reanimator? <laughs> Dr. Herbert West. Night of the Living Dead was was the debut of what filmmaker? George A. Romero. It is George A. Romero. All right, that's one zip. Here we go with gore slash disturbing. In the Midnight Meat Train from 2008, which character becomes the butcher at the end? Leon Kaufman, Maya Jones, Lynn Hadley, or Randall Cooper? Is it Maya Jones? 
It is not. It was Leon Kaufman. Oh. Never go with A. <laughs> All right. In the Hellraiser series, in what world war was the former human self of Pinhead a British army captain? World War One. It is World War One. Sick. Out the ass. That's going to be 2-0. All right. Moving on to psychological. What French actress played the lead in Repulsion from 1965? I don't even, I can't even think of a French actress name. <laughs> All right. That's going to be Catherine Deneuve. I should have said Catherine. Fuck. <laughs> Pretty much. What scene in The Descent was edited for theatrical release in North America, the opening or the ending? The ending. It is the ending. I don't even have to look. Dude, I'm on fire. Am I three for three? You are three for three. All right, here we go with Paranormal. What actress portrayed the titular Emily Rose in The Exorcism of Emily Rose from 2005? You're rolling your eyes like I should know this, and it's not coming to me. That is Jennifer Carpenter from Dexter. Surprise, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) What is the name of the character shot by Vincent Gray in the opening of The Sixth Sense? Bruce Willis. I don't think there's a character named Bruce Willis. (laughs) It's Dr. Malcolm Crowe. Fuck. Damn it, dude. I thought I was going to sweep for once. All right. Well, still winning. Here we go with Killer, who directed both Maniac from 1980 and Maniac Cop from 1988. Was it Toby? It was not. It was William Lustig. Uh, I don't even know that name. Me either. He likes maniacs. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Uh, what was the name of the actor who played the titular Phantom in The Phantom of the Opera from 1925? Holy shit, dude. Lon Chaney. It's Lon Chaney. Is it? Yeah. Oh, tight. All right, here we go. International. In Deep Red from 1975, protagonist Marcus Daly is a pianist specializing in what musical genre? Classical? Oh, yeah. Had a chance, and it was jazz. Oh. All right. Uh, the director of Ringu made his English-language debut with what 2005 film? How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, it's actually <laughs> The Ring 2. Is it really? Yeah. How funny. All right. Well, uh, safe to say I won that one, Jan. I'll be back. <laughs> That's going to be the end of trivia. So before we get into the bulk of the conversation, I just want to say that if you're into that news and into that trivia, then go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you don't ever miss out on any of those. Hey, don't listen to me, to me get my ass kicked <laughs> today. And we do have a special surprise coming up for you with the trivia in a couple weeks when we get into that strange summer. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about our redemption of our sci-fi misses. So yeah. this is our second installment. We previously watched Escape from New York, which was... I mean, we liked. Yeah, it was a solid movie, and I like I said, I love, I love the director and I love the the lead. And there were some things that possibly could have been done better, but I definitely see why it's a cult classic. Right. So then this week we didn't announce it. So what we watched this time around was for John Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and for me was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Couldn't be more opposite movies. <laughs> like, so far on the spectrum in two different directions. I think that just shows kind of the vastness of this genre. Yeah. Close Encounter of the Third Kind is by Spielberg, and it stars Richard Dreyfus, who is crazy to see so young, and came out in 77. I want to say, before anything else, that for a movie being made in 77, the visuals on that thing are amazing. It's completely shocking that that's even something that was possible at that point in time. Yeah, I was trying to think of other stuff that came out and Texas Chainsaw was just a little bit before that. 
and then Halloween was right after that. And they, I mean, obviously they probably had a way different budget. Yeah. But just the difference is is nuts. Yeah. So I had no idea what this movie was about going in at all. I knew obviously just aliens. I was kind of surprised because it it is a very slow movie. Not a lot happens, and it's it's fairly long. It's a solid two hours. I was watching it, and I was like, "Man, where's this going?" And I just wasn't sure. And then by the time it was over, I was like, "Well, that was already two hours." Yeah, it kind of flies by. So even with nothing happening, it still pulls you in, which is pretty impressive. And I think a testament to how good storytelling it is. Well, and you sit alongside the characters as you go through that journey because they're constantly like, what the fuck is going on and trying to figure it out. And I mean, that's, you know, what you follow Richard Dreyfuss doing is just trying to figure it out. He's completely enthralled by the, even the concept that this exists and watching him kind of seem like he's spinning into insanity, but really just trying to speak what's on his mind, but not being able to comprehend it. You go on that journey with him. You feel the same way. You're like, where the fuck is this going? But it's, it's awesome the whole way there. It's very well acted. The visuals are absolutely breathtaking. Okay, so one thing I did know about the movie is that it ends was at Devil's Tower. Yeah. Or not ends in Devil's Tower, but that Devil's Tower was associated with it. And so, you know, he's constructing this sculpture and other people are doing these drawings and paintings. And I'm like, no, that's not it. <laughs> Cut that shit in half. Like, you need the... <laughs> the flat top. It's so all just waiting for some kind of epiphany yeah. to happen, and then there's this scene where he's watching the TV, and sh- they show parts of it, and then he walks off on the phone, and then he comes back, and then it cuts away. And I was like, God damn it! Just let him see the fucking tower. <laughs> so that was that was funny for me, and I, I think it made it more enjoyable. The stuff with the kid getting abducted was mm-hmm. pretty terrifying. Yeah, it was like like a legit like horror scene. Right, and that's probably the scariest part of the movie. And and it's an interesting take on the alien idea, too, because we don't get a lot of curiosity with aliens. Now yeah. the stuff that we get is they're coming to take over and to to fuck our shit up, essentially. Yeah, right? you get you get your independence days, you get, you know, stuff along those lines, alien. Like you right. get you get like these super hostile takeover scenarios, and it's nice to not get that for once. And we don't really know what's up because they are abducting people. Yeah. And the movie starts off with a bunch of pilots just missing from various time periods. And then they come out and no one's like, what's going on? Everyone's just like, hey, welcome home. So that was a very different, interesting take. And the military aspect isn't trying to stop the invasion or stop the aliens from coming or to fight them. It's just a presence there to kind of communicate. So what I ended up really liking about this movie and I think appreciating was that from now watching it so late is I've seen movies like Arrival, which had to be at least partly influenced by this idea because it's the same kind of concept where it's about communicating, you know? So there's this whole music scene where they're playing these tunes to these aliens and trying to communicate with whatever language they're using. And I was like, Oh dude, that's just like Arrival with the circles and the, the, I think it's heptapods, you know? And so for me, I love Rival. I mean, I don't, I'm pretty sure I've said it on the podcast. Well, it's it's on our Instagram as well. You've actually like, you got like an old drawing right, from Rival. Yeah. It's been the only background that's sustained on my phone for months. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. But, and I kept thinking of that. And so it reminded me of that. And so I think that maybe I liked it more because of something like that to see where a concept could be started and then how we can grow that to sort of a modern day. And I think Arrival does that. 
And so I've really enjoyed seeing how that came to be. And obviously Arrival is a lot more complicated, but the visuals on that are just as good for the time. You know what I mean? And so I, I, I really like that. And them slowly slipping into madness, Richard Dreyfuss' character was heartbreaking to an extent. You know, he's freaking out and his wife just doesn't believe him. And people are think that all these UFO sites are bullshit. And you're like, no, he's fucking right. Like we watched it happen. Yeah. <laughs> we were there, man. <laughs> so you almost feel like you're, you're slipping into insanity with right. it. Right. And I was like, fuck, dude, like, I know something's going on. Yeah. And then the military kind of goes back and forth with it. So you know that they're looking for spots and they're looking to communicate. But then they do these press releases where it's like, nothing's going on. Yeah. They're like, oh, don't go to here because there's nasty things in the air. Like, yeah, it's which yeah. is really smart. Yeah. Fantastic idea. And I was like, oh, that's br- like brilliant. How else would they evacuate an area? Oh, tell them there's some kind of chemicals in the air that you can't breathe in or you're going to die. And people bought it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, if you told me that, I'd probably stay away from that shit too. And then you get this one loon at the conference that's like, I saw Bigfoot once. <laughs> I, was like, I saw Bigfoot's dick. <laughs> they should call him Littlefoot. <laughs> anyway, I have always been really nervous to do these redemptions because I'm worried that I'm going to be the guy that doesn't like a classic. Right. Yeah. You know, and I enjoyed this a lot and I watched it with my partner and she was like, did you like that movie? And I was like, yeah, didn't you? And she kind of was on the fence about it. And I was like, did it feel like it was two hours long? And she was like, no, not at all. And I was like, yeah, because you were into it. Like whether or not you think you liked it. Yeah. That movie pulled you in. It's and an experience. You were invested. Right. It's an experience. And it's, in my personal opinion, up until something like Arrival is an experience like no other movie. It's pretty wild. And for me to go this long, you know, 30 years without knowing the plot to this movie in an age now where I can't even go to work without closing my ears because somebody's talking about Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's pretty cool to, yeah. to have to be able to experience that with no context. Yeah. So I'd say for me, a definite plus on my record and i would watch it again i kind of watched a shitty stream of it mm-hmm. and i would really like to sit down and watch that on even just on blu-ray or something like yeah. that i feel like it would only add more to the experience of that movie we'll have to keep an eye out and see if if it shows up at any of our local art houses because that would be i would love to see it in theaters it's on my on my checklist right and you got to watch the thing in theaters yes which oh. I don't think we talked about that. No, we didn't. A couple weeks ago, uh, I posted about it on our Instagram story that I got to watch the thing in theaters with my wife and she'd never seen it before. So that was her first experience with the thing. Just to kind of watch her reactions and just enjoy being like in a crowd watching it on a huge screen was just incredible. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've said it before. I know I've said it about some movies, but that's one of the movies I wish that I could erase from my memory and see it again. Yeah. So I can experience eyes, it yeah. for the first time because it's yeah. But I got to do that like vicariously through her, and I <laughs> loved that. I was all about that. What did you like about Close Encounters when you've watched it? Close Encounters is something that I watched when I was really young because it was something that my that my mom was like, the visuals are stunning. It's Steven Spielberg. She's a huge Steven Spielberg fan. On top of that, it has this really cool musicality about it, and I loved that. Just like the concept of them communicating through tones and through through light was just it was it's something that speaks to all ages speaks to all credences it's just it's it's visceral in a way and i i love it like i said the getting to descend into madness with the characters but then getting that redemption at the end like the whole last like 30 minutes of that 
you know, are incredible. And having it like how they kind of start off and like, oh, we have this quick little discussion. And they think it's over. And then they show back up with the mothership and start dropping people off. It's just it's so good. It kind of gets scary for a second, right? Yeah. Because the mothership comes and starts playing all these like L- deep really tones. deep, lo- like loud, like like. Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh shit! Like stuff's with- about to go down, but there's only like 15 minutes left of this movie. And like you were saying, it's kind of for all ages, which I think is interesting take because anybody could watch that movie. And yeah, maybe if you're younger, you might not enjoy it because it's a lot more character driven than it is plot driven. Mm-hmm. But the visuals would probably be enough to get you there, especially during that time period. Yeah. You know. And so that was something that I was thinking about actually while I was watching it, that this movie is pretty accessible to anybody. Mm -hmm. And it's not overly violent and it's not overly scary. Sure, there's some intense parts, but I don't think that it's anything where a younger audience couldn't handle it. I liked the aliens too when the first like long gangly one came out. It was mm-hmm. kind of spider like, and I was like, "What the fuck is that, dude?" And then they have the little baby, the little <laughs> yeah. baby big head Grace. Right. So out. then Richard Dreyfus goes with them, right? Yeah. And then that's it. So that's kind of sad for his family. <laughs> but I mean, they'd already kind of made their peace at that point. Yeah. Like they knew that he was descending, but it was really just that he was tapping into like a carnal need to know what was going on. And now he gets to find that out, and that's super fucking cool. And I'm honestly surprised that they never made more or remakes of that, honestly, because I feel like that's definitely something where further pulling the story along could benefit. So out of out of uh, five flying saucers, what do you give that? <laughs> I would say four and a half. I like Arrival a lot. <laughs> mm. And so obviously Arrival wouldn't be made without that, and I don't want to keep Sucking a rival's dick, but that to me is a five star, yeah, so, five saucer movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we'll go ahead and jump into Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yes, which, by one of my favorite directors. So this movie was fucking bonkers, and I loved it. It's it's pretty on par for Michelle Gondry's style. Yeah, I mean, and I think we've mentioned it. He did the. Lego video for fell in love with a girl and he did the hardest button to button video where there's like multiples of Jack and Meg going through various landscapes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, his, his record's pretty good. I think he also did be kind rewind, which is a little bit sillier. And he's doing that show right now with Jim Carrey called kidding. And that's pretty, pretty bonkers too. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, if you were to, if you were to say, Hey, uh, the mask is going to fall in love with, uh, rose from Titanic and they're going to have to like compete with the Hulk trying to get at Mary Jane. <laughs> yeah. What would you say it like that? And then, and then uh, <laughs> Frodo Baggins tries to run off with Rose. Like if you, if you like break it down into the characters that these other people have played, it's, it's pretty incredible their reach, but like they all came together for this little like artsy picture and I and like a lot of them were in the height of their careers. This was right in the middle of Lord of the Rings territory, and you've got Elijah Wood playing a supporting character. This is right in like right after some of the biggest moments of Jim Carrey's career. This is pretty close to right after Titanic. I mean, you're in you're, same with Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, you? you're right in the middle of the Spider-Man trilogy. Like, I mean, this is like a bunch of people coming together to just make a passion project. So you know that the script and the pitch from the director must have been incredible to get all these big names involved. And and Jim Carrey brings a performance that I think is a little bit different. So mm-hmm. he is very much 
a caricature in most of his stuff, right? He's this big over the top actor or characters in these roles. And in this one, he gets to be a little bit more serious. There are still some goofy parts to it, but it's never like an in your face. I'm the mask. <laughs> type, yeah. But it's, al- it's almost a character trait that he's subdued though. And just that he's, he's kind of the quiet and nice one, but that he has this kind of like intensity that kind of bubbles under the surface. And that's part of the reason why their relationship doesn't work. And I think that the, the acting performances in this are stellar and the way that they tell the story is incredible. But I feel like it's all about the, like the themes, the themes are what really like, you know, reach out and grab at you. Just like the themes of love. Well, well, obviously of love, but of predestination and living life and enjoying to the fullest and not necessarily having it be about, where you end up when it's all done, but about living in the memories and in the moments. Because just watching as Jim Carrey is clutching to his last memories with Clementine is just fucking sad. I said, I feel like Joel is a character, like I said, he he's very subdued, but he's also got that anger issue that comes out later in, you know, in like in like their like the earlier memories that they're wiping, which are the later memories with Clementine, where he says things that he doesn't mean. And goes out of his way to hurt her in situations where he knows that he shouldn't. And I think that there are parts of them that are so compatible that they're unable to separate themselves, but there are also parts of them that are so incompatible that they know that they would never work forever. But the fact that when it's all said and done after going through all these incredible sequences and all like, there are some really creepy and like terrifying moments where people like have no faces And like he's being torn from memory to memory, basically being like halfway through being like, I regret this decision. Don't take these from me. I need to have them. And watching as he loses everything is just it's it's so sad. I wonder if a connection could be made with something like Alzheimer's. Potentially, maybe. I mean, I never really thought about that until right now because I watched that movie when I was a little bit younger. Mm -hmm. So I wonder now viewing that through more of an adult lens an idea or a theme could be connected to that in some way. There is a potential of that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the way that it kind of drifts and goes away, but there are little things that stay behind. Like he has like this. And because you start off the movie with him just having this impulse to go to Montauk and it's for no other reason than that was his last thing that he had and was the only thing that didn't get taken from him. So he runs there not knowing why he's there And he sees Clem and is just like, I don't know why I always fall in love with the people I see when I first see them. If I'm not mistaken, that gets turned into a song at some point in time, not in the movie, but later down the line. The concept, like I said, is super highbrow. There's so many layers you can pick at. And like I said, just watching as a man falls apart and then the twist at the end where basically it's not just him and her that keep falling into this sequence. And even though they're having their memories erased and they didn't want to be a part of each other, keep finding themselves again. It's not just him. It's not just her. It's basically anybody who goes through this, this process. I mean, you have Kirsten Dunst, you know, who like falls back in love with her boss. uh, And then finds out that she's already done this before and that it caused a problem. So they decided to do this. And then, so she basically goes out and exposes everyone at the end. You have the two of them interacting and then they find out that 
they'd had their memories erased of each other, but th- that they'd said some pretty terrible things about each other, but they still feel like even though it's not going to work and they know that it's not going to work, that they still want to proceed because they want to have the memories again. And it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of beautiful. It's beautiful and it's heartbreaking. And tragic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, like I said, I can't believe that I've gone this long without seeing it. It was so, it was so the opposite of what I thought it was going to be. Because the way they show it in the trailers and all that stuff, it makes it seem like it's like kind of like a romantic comedy almost with some tragic things and themes. I didn't expect the majority of the movie to be him rolling backwards through his memories as they're being erased. That shit caught me way off guard. And like I said, it couldn't have been told in a better way. I, I'm positive of that. I like to... Michelle Gondry's style where you get kind of like these visual tricks mm-hmm. and you get kind of playful things. So I think even the whole apparatus is kind of silly, right? Yeah. It looks like a, like a, like a colander. Right. Yeah. And he just pieces stuff together. That's pretty typical for him. And I really like that where it's kind of this childlike approach mm-hmm. to these stories. And then I really like that scene and they use the visual perspective a lot with the table, with the table. Yeah. yeah so I, I knew, a child. <laughs> see, I, I knew that before, before I've seen that scene, like not, the actions of the scene, but the way that they use the visual trickery for that. All right. I think that's really cool. And that's some of my favorite filmmaking mm-hmm. is where they do camera tricks and instead of like computerized visual effects, but you know, have their place and they look great now and it helps aid in the belief of a story. But I mean, I think a case could be made that those practical camera tricks are just the tits. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like, like, I said there were so many scenes that were so impactful. I mean, the one that sticks out the most though is where they're they're like laid on the floor and like they're trying to interact, and then she just gets pulled into the darkness, and like he, you just to like see him like freak out because like this was one of the ones that he didn't want to give up, and then just having him like trying to like get a hold of anyone, trying to wake himself up, trying to stop it from happening. He's like, I, like I can't live without this memory. Please stop, and nothing happens. And then having him basically try to. I said reverse engineer trying to hide her in a different memory. And like I said, that, that makes for some really funny moments too. Some really lighthearted moments like him, like trying to hide her in the, in like the time that he got caught masturbating by his mom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the idea too of erasing memories is, is really like palpable. I guess I like how they have Elijah's wood character, Elijah Wood's character, Elijah's wood masturbation (laughs) joke again. huh? His character kind of falls in love with Clem, right? And so you kind of get that idea of if these people are erasing these memories and they get to see them, then how how do they get attached yeah. to the people they're working for, you know? And so you get to see him kind of fall in love and become obsessed and then kind of attack Joel's memories of that. Yeah. Which is kind of fucked up, but again, interesting. And I feel like that's something that would happen. I'm really glad they addressed that. Let me ask you this. If uh, if you could go back and erase a memory, if you could get this service of something, would you? I don't think I would. I think that the experiences and the memories that I've made throughout my lifetime, I think they make the man that I am now. And I think without even just one of them, I think that I potentially be a different person. And I don't necessarily want that. I like who I am, you know? How about you? I mean, there's definitely stuff that I regret, but I think like you were saying you learn from mistakes, right? So I probably would end up making that mistake again in a different context mm-hmm. and having to, I guess, re-erase that. <laughs> I don't or, know. Or, I mean, you could even end up with worse consequences. Right. And like I said, that's that's another, like with the theme of predestination in this movie, like the things that are going to happen no matter what you do, 
it, like I said, I think that everyone's going to make mistakes. Being able to overcome those mistakes and learn from them are part of what makes you human. And I think that without them, you'd be pretty boring, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. We become kind of just a shell. And I think that's kind of where Jim Carrey's character was headed almost, mm -hmm. where he's becoming less and less of himself. Cool. So if you had to give it a uh, one to five shines. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a five. It's an incredible film. And it's definitely one that aids from a second viewing or multiple viewings at that matter. Yeah, I definitely want to watch it again for sure. Yeah, I'd definitely say a five for me on that one too. <laughs> All right, so that's going to be it for our redemptions. But before we go, we are going to introduce a new segment that we're going to start doing at the end of our episodes. And it's going to be the watch list. Patrick, what is it? Where are you going? We've got to return some videotapes. So... We're just going to tell you guys some recommendations or stuff that we've watched this week that falls into the horror or sci-fi category. So for me this week, I watched a couple of horror movies. I watched Ghost Stories, which is a collection of short stories told with a overlying narrative. Mm -hmm. And it has Martin Freeman in it. He's in one of the stories. And it's pretty weird. I didn't know what to expect. It came out either last year or the year before, and I had been looking forward to it. And that's on prime if you want to check that out it's pretty good and then i watched the new hulu into the dark and that one is called all that we destroy so that's going to be the may mother's day themed horror movie and honestly man i really liked it it's pretty weird and i feel like the format with this series is kind of slow build up and then a finale punch mm -hmm. and this one definitely delivers but it has the main guy from happy death day oh nice so that's pretty cool and he's not a nice guy in this one. So I liked seeing him kind of flex more of his acting chops. And then uh, I guess uh, I'll put a little guilty pleasure out there. I have been also watching True Blood, which kind of falls into <laughs> the horror. It's like Twilight with tits. I mean, it, it, you could say that there's also some like sci-fi and fantasy elements to it. Definitely not as big a fan of True Blood as in I'm not a fan of True Blood at all. But uh, I have I have a couple of things that Either I will recommend or say that I'm going to watch now that I'm going to potentially like or dislike, and then I'll give more information on later. Um, I have Happy Death Day to You. I really want to check that out, so I'm going to probably do that within the next week. I did watch Detective Pikachu. I would say, especially if you are a fan of Pokemon or you have small children who are potentially a fan of Pokemon, go see this movie. It's probably one of the best video game movies that's ever been released. The story is a little goofy. And uh, some of the acting could use a little bit of work, but just like the fact that a live action world exists that has all these Pokemon in it was uh, as a person who grew up on Pokemon was something that uh, hit me right in the nostalgia feels. And I really enjoyed it. <laughs> all right. So we probably wouldn't recommend True Blood, but we definitely recommend Detective Pikachu <laughs> and all that we destroy. <laughs> and if you have any that you're watching then let us know what you watched this week in the horror sci-fi genre, and maybe we'll check those out. Yeah. That's going to be it for this episode. I'd like to remind you guys to go ahead and subscribe so that you can keep getting episodes as they come out, typically on Mondays. If you want to hit us up on our website, you can do so at porcelainpeak.com. There's ways to leave comments on there too. If you want to get more interactive with us, then definitely hit us up on our socials. That's going to be Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, that's going to be at Porcelain Peak on all of those. also want to quickly mention again, we are now on a plethora of platforms. 
It's going to be obviously Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and Stitcher. So you can check us out on any of those platforms now. Also, thank you guys for tuning in this week. We appreciate all the views. And then we do have a couple of shout outs. We had one five-star review come through. That's going to be from Sarah B 516 So thank you for that review. And our other one's going to be from Instagram. And I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's S Barzy author. And he hit us up on Instagram. So that was pretty cool. So shout out to you guys. And if you want to get a shout out, then rate and review. And we'll definitely give you a shout out on the next episode. So then join us next week. And we are going to be talking about the new movie coming out called Brightburn. Brightburn. So that's new and hot. And we will give you our fresh take on that movie. And as always, thank you guys for tuning in. Keep it creepy. A Hyperforge Alpha Network production.